Yes, folks, it's Thursday. It's 4 p.m. Central. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Billers, 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 Outstrangizing. Billers, 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 Outstrangizing. I'm here with my co-host, Ray Pillar and Elizabeth Denham. And our special returning guest, Harold Kestenbaum. Today we're going to be talking about the gotchas of the FDD. Now, for those of you who are now grabbing a pillow and blankie, I don't know, get coffee. It's going to be a really interesting show, even though the topic puts 99% of people asleep. Folks, how are we doing today? Ray, Elizabeth, Harold, where are you at? What's the weather like? (laughs) I'm I'm doing fine sitting here in Aurora. I'm getting ready to go on a, a short little vacation over the weekend to a local RV park. And right now the weather is 87 degrees and sunny, just like it would be out in your neck of the woods. Um, we had a storm go through here, what was it, two nights ago? And 70 mile an hour winds knocked out power to a lot of people. But other than that, I didn't suffer any damage, and uh, neither did my RV, so <laughs> looking good. And how's Elizabeth today? Good. Doing fine. We had a big storm the other night, too. Like, two nights ago, it was a lightning storm right on top of us. It was kind of mm-hmm. startling. Um, trees down in the neighborhood and around town, but we didn't have any damage either. But today, 10 minutes ago, it was uh, pouring down rain and thundering. And five minutes ago, it was clearing up. And now it's thundering and looks like maybe another cloud is running it. So mm-hmm. it's anybody's guess. <laughs> Harold, <laughs> what about you? <laughs> we have rain. We've had rain all day today. We have, we have still people without power from the hurricane of last week. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, we luckily did not lose power where we are. But people have been without for, for a week. Um, but today has been humid. It's been humid all week, actually. Not pleasant. And where are you? I'm on Long Island, New York. So we got, we're coast to coast here today. Mm-hmm. Coast to coast <laughs> and in the middle. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the gotchas in the franchise disclosure document today. And this topic topic was prompted by um, people uh, I've been talking to asking about FDDs, and, and some of them were legal questions, so we're going to get into that. But, Harold, what is a franchise disclosure doc? Why is it important? We're going to go with a simple wait, wait, question. Wait, wait. All right. Sorry. Ted, Ted. Now, I know that Harold's been on before. But not everybody in our audience. All right, all right, go ahead. (laughs) You can introduce them. All right. Uh, Harold is, uh, uh, I'm going to read it, okay, because I'm not very good at these things. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, Elizabeth, correct me if I leave anything off. Harold L. Alrighty. He's a a, uh, member of the Spady Lagnana. 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 Uh, and he brings decades, decades of experience in the franchise industry, and he is located in Melville, New York. Okay, Harold is a member of the American Bar Association's 
Association's antitrust section, the antitrust section's forum committee on franchising, and the subcommittee on franchising of the American Bar Association's corporation banking and business law section. He is the founding member of the and past chairman of the New York State Bar Association's franchise distribution and licensing law section. And he currently serves as chairman for the education and seminar subcommittee and was a member of the International Franchise Association Supplier Forum Advisory Board. He has won numerous awards, including being named among the top 100 franchise lawyers in North America by Franchise Times and being named one of the three best franchise lawyers in New York metro area by New York Magazine. Welcome, Harold. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So you just proved he's a smart guy, and that's why we had him on the show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, franchise, I guess you want me to give you the history of, of the FDD. If you want, and you got a few minutes to do that. Is that we got a few. Yeah, we got a few. Who don't know what it is. Uh, I can go back to 19... Well, I guess you can go back to 1971 when California was the first state to promulgate a franchise disclosure and registration law. And they required franchisors to have a document. In those days, it was called a Uniform Franchise Offering Circular. You fought for short. Yeah. And that document spelled out three different areas that a franchisee needs to know about and a franchisor needs to disclose about. Fast forward to 1979, when the Federal Trade Commission passed the FTC rule, which basically copied the California law and made it a, a, a nationwide law that every company that wanted to franchise their business had to have this UFOC document. Now, unfortunately, today, we wish that back then they had a uniform filing system like they have for Securities and Exchange, and Exchange Commission, where you file a prospectus there and you don't have to worry about the rest of the country. The FTC didn't do that. It left it to the states, like California, to pass their own state statutes. I Big mistake. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, I guess the good news is that not every state did that. And in fact, the last state to do that was my state, New York, in 1981. And there are currently 15 states out of all of the states that require such a registration. Then there's been some rule changes. And then in 2008, they did a basic overhaul of the UFOC, changed the name, and now we call it a franchise disclosure document or FDD. Um, it changed some of the uh, content of the items, but basically left 23 items in the document that a franchisor has to address in order to be compliant. So that's the document that we now use, and that's the document we're talking about today, as opposed to back in the 80s and 90s when it was called the UFOC. And it brings you up to date. <laughs> Elizabeth, before I come up with my question, I'll let the lady take a, a shot at it. 
So since we just went over the history of it, if you will go over the process of how it is introduced in the process of a potential franchisee connecting with a franchisor, um, is it, you know, where do they see it in the process and what should they be looking for? Well, well in 2008, I think the biggest change was when this has to be given to the franchisee. In 2008, the franchisor had to distribute or give the, at that time, the UFOC at the first personal meeting when they met the franchisee. Now, back in, when this was, when, when the law was, was developed, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have electronic mail, we didn't have, we didn't have any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, the physical 300-page or 200-page document that the franchisor had to duplicate and mail it, actually mail it to a franchisee. You couldn't, you couldn't send a PDF. You couldn't do any of that stuff back in those days. So it, it became a very expensive process, but nevertheless, you had to do that. So back then, when a franchisee got this big document, they had to go to the last page, and we, we call it the receipt page. They had to sign the receipt page and then send it back to the franchisor. At that point in time, the franchisee had 14, well, then it was 10 business days. It's actually, leave it at 14. 14 days, go over the document with his lawyer, read it, make changes, or, or ask for changes, and do whatever it needed to do before you could sign anything or pay a fee. It was, you can call it a cooling off period, if you will. Um, we call it a negotiating period. So on the 15th day, theoretically, the franchisee and the franchisor could sign an agreement. 2008, they made it a lot easier. We have now what's called e-disclosure. You don't have to send the document through the mail. You don't have to make copies of 300-page documents. All you have to do is send a PDF to the franchisee. They still have to print out the last page, uh, the receipt page, and send it back, but there's no longer a need for hard copies of anything. Everything is done electronically. What also changed was that there's no longer a first personal meeting because the, the drafters realized that that doesn't happen anymore. Everything is done virtually. You know, we didn't have Zoom then, but you're still doing phone. And, you know, it's not, you don't fly to the franchisor's headquarters and sit there. So now the document, you don't have to give out the document unless the franchisee requests it. And the document doesn't have to be given out until 14 days prior to signing or paying a fee. So now franchisors can talk to franchisees on the phone, they could even see them face to face, even if they wanted to, and still not have to give them the document until the franchisee says, "Okay, I'm ready to go." Then the franchisor gives electronically sends the document, and you got the 14-day waiting period. That hasn't changed. So that's basically the, the steps that are involved. Um, you know, these days you can go to the California website that if a franchisee really wants the document. They don't even have to talk to the franchise. They can go get it for free on the California website. And there are other registration states that have similar websites where you can do that. So if the franchisor says, well, I'm not going to give you the document until I know you're real, so let's discuss it and talk about it, if a franchisee wants to get around that, they can certainly do that. It's not that difficult. You know, the Internet and, and, and the software that's out there in the states are money to do that. So uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that was a good summary of, of kind of how it works in the process. So thank you but, for that. 
Ray, do you have a question? Wait a second here. Wait a second. Sorry, that's his friend. Wait a second. Wait a second here. I love this topic. <laughs> so, uh, besides California, and, and they keep screwing around where with where the search is, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin also are registration states where you can download it for free online. That's that's correct. See, I do know the free states. I know I couldn't name the other 11 besides New York. So question I've always had is, is the FDD. um, So if you're in that state and you register there, you have to be there. But is that state. um, Are they the same from state to state? So if I file in Wisconsin and Minnesota and California, is it the same FDD or do the states tweak how the FDD is so that there's various different variations? Well, that's a good question. And that also changed in 2008. Uh, Before 2008, some, some states wanted their own FDD and you had to make changes for that state. And it became very cumbersome. And some franchisors had multiple FEDs for different states, and it became a very expensive and very burdensome. So in, in 2008, when they amended the rule, now the states say, okay, well, let's use one document. But if, if you come into our state, a registration state like California, you have to do an addendum that picks up the California nuances to the California state law. So all of the registration states allow you to do an addendum for their particular state and have one document. Made it a lot easier, less cumbersome, and franchisors appreciated that very much. All right. So one follow-up question on the addendum. Uh, are there any gotchas in the addendum besides, I know, California is a crazy place? Well, yeah, I mean, some of the states, and I'll use California, unfortunately, as an example. Uh, For example, in California, and this is the only state where you have this problem, you know, every franchise agreement that I've ever seen in 43 years, they all have what we call a covenant not to compete. That means the franchisee can't go out and do the same business under a different name, either while he's a franchisee or for a period of time after he leaves the system. It protects the system from, from poaching and competition. Well, California is the only state that prohibits that provision. So in California, if you terminate a franchisee, they can go across the street or don't they can stay in the same location. And instead of being uh, Arby's, they could be Joe's Roasty's house and get away with it. So that's in the California addendum. You know, and certain states have their own, you know, little quirky, twirly, uh, 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 sections in their statute that, that you put in the addendum, which I can tell you, and we had this discussion offline before we started, 90, 99.9% of the franchisees who read or who even read the document never get that far because the addendums are at the end. So they probably never even see what they say, and maybe they have a lawyer who's getting paid enough money to read the whole damn thing, but other than that, they'll never know on each state, each state addendum. And that's the fact. Awesome. Ray, take it away. Now you got, now you can. Okay. Well, sort of based on the title of the show today, what item or items, I should say items, I'm sure there's several, uh, in the FDD 
that a, uh, a franchisor can tweak and cheat and you know not possibly say the right thing that a French a prospective franchisor should look out for. Well, I don't like to use the word cheat. <laughs> tell you that the purpose of the FDD is full disclosure. And if you leave out things that are required, you open yourself up to a potential lawsuit because the franchisee, if they fail, they'll find a, they'll find a lawyer who will say, oh, wait a minute, you left this out. So, for example, in item eight, if you have rebates that you get from suppliers and you don't put in that amount, and what percentage that is of your total revenue, that's a problem, and you're going to get nailed by it. Well, first of all, if you go into a registration state, they're going to pick that up right away. The good news about the registration states is they serve as sort of a a backstop where if you leave things out, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you're going to get a comment letter from those states saying, oh, by the way, you left this out. you got to put it in or else you're not going to get registered. For that, for the franchisor, the, the sneaky franchisors, I don't like to use that word, but I'll use it. You think they, yeah, if they go into, an, if they're only in non-registration states, they probably will be able to duck around the law until there's a lawsuit, then they're going to be in trouble. But mm-hmm. if they go into a registration state, they're never going to be able to get away with that because these state examiners to the extreme, not only will they pick that up, but they'll also tell you, oh, by the way, there should have been a comma there. You got to put a comma in. Oh, there's a spelling mistake. You got to, and you'll get comment letters that are both substantive, like in your example, or absurd, which is, oh, there's a grammatical error, or there's a typo that you have to switch and change. So that's what you get with the state. So that means there's at least one person in each state that's actually reading the FTD. Oh, yeah. yeah. Each state has their own group of examiners, and they do read them. No question. Yeah. Which is the other problem. It takes weeks to get registered in most of these states because the examiners are so backed up and they have so little help because there's no funding that it could take, in, in the state of Maryland now, it could take three months to get registered. Mm-hmm. It could take six months. And that's a real negative and that's a real problem. And I have clients who refuse to go into registration states for that reason. Mm-hmm. They'd rather give up a sale than have to sit there and wait six months for an approval. Wow. That's right, Fred, six months. <laughs> <laughs> so in in the, uh, the spirit of full disclosure, um, there are requirements to show uh, franchise failure, franchisee failures or, or statistical things like that. How do you present that information as a franchisor without scaring off prospective franchisees? Well, except if you're a startup, it, it can be it, it's a big system. You could you it's an item 20 in their chart and they're all done via charts and there and there's exhibits to the charts that who left the system in 2019 and you have to give a name and address and phone number so the prospect can call them and ask why did you leave the system um mm-hmm. so you your franchise or that's and that's every year you know what we didn't talk about is every year that document has to be updated and every year you have to have audited financial statements from prior fiscal year or calendar year end and the franchisors, and that's their job, not mine, have to provide me and my staff and my team with the information about who left the system, who came into the system, et cetera, for that year. Oh, that's my wife's phone. Sorry about that. Um, so that's, that's done every year. So that's how you, that's how you find out. And, and, and that's item 20. Those charts go back three years. 
They don't come back forever. It's only the, the prior three years. So it would be 17, 18, and 19 for purposes of our discussion today. Okay, wait a second. So and, run that past me again. You said that um, they have to update it every year? Every year, that's correct. If they're going to continue selling franchises, they're not out of business. So in California, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, at least, I should see a FDD every year. If they or... register, look, keep in mind, if, they, if, if some franchisor says, you know what, I, I haven't sold any in Minnesota in 10 years. I'm never going to sell one. They're not going to renew, and they're going to just say, I'm not, I'm not renewing. So you'd get the, the older FDDs, but you wouldn't get a current one if they don't register. Okay, but so if there is one that I know, so if they have current franchisees in the state, they have to be registered. Yes. Yeah, they, well, they would. They, they should, yes. So I guess what I'm saying is that you, by your, um, by your example, if they hadn't sold the franchise in 10 years, but they, they still had a franchisee in that state, over you know period. what? That's a, that's a good question. And the answer is, if you, if you have a franchisee in a state, you don't need a current FDD because if you're not selling anymore, you only have the one franchisee. Okay. The disclosure document is not for the guys who are in the system already. It's for new people who are buying into the system. If you're not selling in a particular state and you have somebody there for 10 years, you know, if he, signs a new, if he wants a second unit, that's an exemption in most states because he's an existing franchisee. He just signs the same franchise agreement. So you don't have to re-register in, in that particular state. But, but, but the reality is franchisors will register anyway because if there's one in the state, there may be one coming down the pike, and they, they don't want to, oh, by the way, oh, we didn't register in Minnesota again. We have to do that now. When is it going to be done? You know, so you, you kind of get ahead of the curve and say, okay, if you have a franchisee in Minnesota, there may be one buddy of his may want one so yeah we'll register we'll, we'll refile okay under see everyone you're learning so much about <laughs> um the franchise disclosure doc even i am so at this point we're gonna take a break from the exciting fun and go do some commercials and then ray can come back with the next scintillating fdd question <laughs> so until that point i want to remind um our listeners that you can call in at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. Uh, and Heidi will put you in the green room and uh, see what your questions are. So you can dial in there. You can also chat on the websites. And you folks that are out there, send your questions. And now uh, want a reminder that Caffeinated Connections is on Tuesday mornings at uh, – would be 10.30 a.m. to 11.45 a.m. Eastern Time. And they've added an interesting little speed networking component to the question of the day. And now, a word from another sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments? Use... Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, 
We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine.com. And we're back with Harold Kessenbaum, enlightening us on the intricacies of the FDD or the greatest known cure for insomnia that mankind has ever designed. And now we've learned that each many states have their own variety of insomnia cure. Ray, take it away. Well, speaking of enlightening, I think one of the more, more enlightening items in the FTD is the legal legal actions from the franchisor. So I guess my question to Harold is to what depth does the franchisor have to go to and in what time frame do they have to mention all the legal actions that are taking place with that franchise? Uh, good question. That would be item three. Uh, and not every litigation that a franchisor involved with has to be disclosed, and, and, and some companies don't realize that. So, for example, if the franchise franchisor has a landlord-tenant action, that's not disclosable. If the franchisor is sued for negligence, somebody slips and falls in the front of the company-owned restaurant, that's not disclosable. What is disclosable are lawsuits brought by franchisees against the franchisor uh, or counterclaims brought by a franchisee against the franchisor uh, and typically would be fraud, breach of contract. Uh, mm. State brings a, a, a regulatory action against the franchisor for selling the franchise without being registered, for example, that would get disclosed. Arbitrations where a franchisee brings an arbitration against the franchisor for fraud or breach of contract, that would be disclosed. Uh, states like to see that litigation in the document for at least seven years. Mm. Oh, if, wow. Yeah. Well, some, a couple of states say 10 years, but if the registration state and, 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 the, and the state doesn't say 10, it's seven. Mm. And if the case is settled, okay, and the franchisor wins or doesn't have to pay anything or has no liability, you can take the case out. But if the settlement and the franchisor has to fork over money, that settlement stays in for the same amount of time. Oh, wow. So that's very highly enlightening. Yeah, I mean, look, you take a, let, let's use the big boy. Subway yeah. has an exhibit with 32 pages of lawsuits. You know, the bigger you are, the more franchisee lawsuits that you're going to have, and, and the little ones have very few. Now, if the little ones have a lot, then that's a red flag that anybody wants to take a look at. You know, the ones look, they have 35,000 franchisees, you're going to have lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just the way of the world. Same with McDonald's. But if you're, if you're a new franchisor, you have five units and you have five lawsuits, then you've got to scratch your head if you're a buyer. Yeah, but the, the lawsuits also, the type of lawsuit that's going on is, is very revealing as well, especially if the, you see a lot of the same type of lawsuits. Sure. Yeah, it does. Right. And, and, you know, look, the franchising lawsuits run the gamut. 
from, you know, you, 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 committed, you told me I would make a million dollars and it's not in your document. I made $2 or, or the franchise or doesn't perform under the agreement. They didn't do this or that. And the franchisee is, is now complaining. Look, my advice to my clients is try to settle it before it gets to the litigation stage. Sometimes it's worth it just to get rid of the franchisee. Uh, a friend of mine who, who owns a, an 800 or 900 chain franchise company has a philosophy. If a franchisee is not happy, find a buyer and get him out of the system. Mm-hmm. He's been very successful over the years doing that and they have no litigation. So, look, it's not always the franchisor's fault. If you have a bad franchisee, that happens. So get him to sell and get rid of him. Yep. Yep. So is there a threshold? Like, you, you mean, clearly the, the size of the franchisor matters in terms of looking at numbers of, of litigations that they're involved in. But it, as you get larger and larger, and I think Ray's point was good about what kinds of litigation are going on if they're you know, not adhering to the agreement, if it's a contract violation or whatever. But how, when do you start to question, especially on the larger scale, I mean, there are certain numbers of lawsuits, and anybody in business knows this, that um, are normal. So when do you start to worry if you're someone looking into a larger scale franchise? Well, if you're looking to buy a franchise on the scale of, of, of a McDonald's or, or Subway or, or, or Burger King or a system like that, you have to expect that there's going to be lawsuits because there's so many franchises. And well, they've been around forever. Right, <laughs> right. It's, it's the smaller systems where they have multiple litigations that you have to test and find out why is this? What's going on here? The big ones you assume, and, and you know, when, when you're a franchisee attorney and they want to buy one of those franchises from one of the big chains, you basically say, look, this is what it is. It's the cost of doing business, and the franchisors know that, and they right. deal with it. So my question is this. So... What about employee, so corporate employee lawsuits? The first thing that pops into my head is like sexual harassment lawsuits. No, that's not disclosable. If if, if McDonald's, well, for example, McDonald's just, you know, they fired their CEO because, yeah, if if the the CEO sues McDonald's, that's not disclosable. It's between an employee and McDonald's. There's no franchisee involved. So it doesn't matter. You could have a hundred of those and they wouldn't be disposable. Which makes sense. It doesn't really affect the, the potential. No, it doesn't affect, that's right. It has no effect on the franchisees whatsoever. Wow. In my head, I would think that would it seem to indicate mis- 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 mismanagement at, at the executive level, but, and that's not disclosable. Only if it's a, so any lawsuit has to be, between the franchisee and the franchisor to be disclosable, assuming mm-hmm. they right. franchisor lost. Yeah, I, yeah, right. If they lost, or if it's pending, you know, if, if it's a concluded lawsuit and they win, it doesn't go in. It's settled. It's, it's out. Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Go I mean, ahead, Ray. I have a client that 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 the the it had a, an issue with the United States Department of Labor. That's not disclosable. I mean, they didn't they didn't they didn't allege any fraud, and it wasn't a franchisee. 
and they just it was had to do with overtime for for employees, not disposable. And that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Ray. That's that's wow. That's stunning. Well, I, I, I think my next favorite item is uh, uh, the list of uh, current owners of franchises and former owners. Uh, what can a potential buyer get out of that list? Well, the well, let's take the list of former owners. You only have to go back to the last calendar year. So, in other words, if the franchise, if you have ten franchisees who left the system in 2019, we'll use 2019, then you have to list each one of them and their, their name, address, and their current uh, phone number. The purpose of that is so that if prospects, if they see, they go to that list, they can call each one and find out why they left the system. Were you unhappy? The franchisee, franchisee would not do what they were supposed to do, or whatever. Uh, but it's it's it, you, you're not required to go back beyond one year. So, oh, okay. Franchisees who left the system in 2019 is zero. It doesn't matter that 500 left in 2018. Okay. So that'll come up in the charts, okay, because you go back three years on the charts. Uh-huh. It wouldn't come out on that list of one year. Okay. So the numbers would show that, you know, right. the prior year that uh, sure. they lost a lot of franchises. That's right. It would. Yeah. That's the, I find that very uh, disclosing, I guess, is the best word, is to talk to former uh, owners of the franchise. Go ahead, Elizabeth. Um, so in terms of marketability and the use of the FDD as a tool for that, um, what advice would you give to franchisors, especially newer ones, in terms of making it franchisee friendly, not getting too complex, that kind of thing. Well, that was another thing that the 2008 amendment before, prior to 2008, they were very legalistic and, and very cumbersome and, and, and it, would, it would be only, only lawyers would be able to decipher what it was. Right. <laughs> so in 2008, the FTC said it's got to be in plain English. And, and, they, and the states follow that. The registration states will, will call you out if you use therefore and heretofore and <laughs> words that lawyers tend to use. To say that the, F, the FED is a marketing tool, I think kind of exaggerates a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> In there, there's nothing marketing about it. Yeah. Nobody's going to read that and say, oh, wow, do I want to buy this franchise? No, it, it's, it, it, it's basically black and white. You get the 23 items, you, you answer the questions, you can, you can embellish a little bit, but not much. And it, it's not one, it's not gonna win any Peabody Awards for, for, for marketing genius, I'll tell you that right now. No, but if it's clean, if you're, if you're low on lawsuits, if you're low on people who are leaving, that kind of thing, that is something that, that you can easy. Sure. brag about, Absolutely. right? Yeah. yeah. No, you're no you're not going to point those things out if it's all negatives, right? No, that's right. Okay, so for our listeners, if you're on the website and you want to chat, um, you got to hit the button in the lower right-hand corner, and you, everyone just answered a question that one of our listeners was trying to send us, so... Um, good job. And there's a lot of good marketing information in the FDD. 
I just wish they included email addresses. That'd make it even better. People would read it. <laughs> if you're a marketing person, you should read it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I know what three states you can get the free ones in. So, what is we talked about the the things you uh, um, you should read, and you've worked with a whole lot of franchisors. Um, getting their FDDs together, um, which means you sleep well. But what is one of the weirdest things a, a franchisor ever tried to get a, you know, cover up, so to speak, in the FDD that you've seen? Not necessarily from your clients, because we know you wouldn't do that. But no, um, I don't deal with companies that try to do that. How about that answer? <laughs> I understand that, I, and and I said that, but I said that you've seen, not necessarily from your clients. Well, I don't, yeah, well, except that I don't. Well, I'll tell you what I do see. I see companies that come to me who say I'm not happy with my lawyer. Okay, and what I see frequently is I see a document that is not only poorly written but non-compliant. Mm. Franchisor doesn't know any better until he sends it to me or somebody in my firm will say, wait a minute, this is ridiculous. Whoever did this? And I can tell you right now that there are consulting companies out there who think they can write FDDs and they're practicing law without a license and they try to do it and they do an awfully bad job. So, yeah, I mean, I see clients that just had somebody else write it and did a, a very, very unprofessional and um, Terrible job. So, like, they used a Google Docs template or a Microsoft yeah, Word template? Yeah. No, no, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, believe it or not, they're, they, they do that. You know, you know, we, in, in the franchise bar, there are franchise lawyers and there are franchise dabblers. You know, there's a lawyer that says, oh, yeah, I, I've done FEDs before. Yeah, one. So that <laughs> makes him a franchise lawyer in his mind. Uh, and then you get the law firms that do it exclusively like our firm and other firms out there that just do franchise, franchising or have a group that, like DLA Piper, which has 3,000 lawyers, but they have a franchise practice group that's got, the list I heard was 250 lawyers in a franchise practice group. That's the size of many law firms. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and then there are the boutique firms like my firm where we are, I don't know, seven lawyers and six paralegals and all we do is franchising, but we're not tablets. But then you think they, they know anything or, or try to allege that they know anything. They're horrible. And the product is terrible. Yeah. And, they, and, and, and the client paid a, paid a fee. And now what am I supposed to do? You've got to redo it. That's another fee. That doesn't make them very happy. Yeah. So what's the best practice to vet an attorney when you're a new franchisor and looking for some help? And, and also, is there a board certification for franchise uh, law? And the answer to the first question is call me. <laughs> I knew it. I, I spin fed to that one, Harold. <laughs> He's been around me long enough to know that's the first answer. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there's only, um, I think California is the only state that has a franchise certification. Okay. So you can call yourself a specialist in California if you're certified, but there aren't any other states that I'm aware of. Well, you can do that. Okay. I was just curious. So, yeah, you focus on franchising instead of specializing. Gotcha. 
But the answer is if they're not going to call me, then you've got to find out what, what are the clients they have that are franchisors and how many, how many franchisor clients they have. If they tell you they have one, you've got to scratch your head and say, uh-oh, I better go somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You don't go to a dog groomer to get your hair cut. <laughs> right. Well, these days, pre-COVID-19, yeah. Post-COVID-19, you never know. So when my barber shop was closed, I asked. Right. <laughs> right, that's right. Which is why we wear hats. Yeah. Everybody's hair. Scissor, right? <laughs> yeah. So my son's doing it and he's actually pretty good. <laughs> one of our listeners um uh, asked a question. He said, uh, what are things to look for that may give the prospect or that may sorry, may project the impression that a FDD is poorly written? In other words, what are the red flags that you that will indicate that a FDD is poorly written? You know, that's an interesting question because from prospective franchisees' point of view, if they've never seen one, they don't know what's good or bad. I mean, they'll take a document and read it and think it's good when it's really not. But unless they've seen others that are more professionally done and well-written, they're not going to know the distinction between a piece of garbage and one that's well done. Fortunate, but that's, unless they have a franchisee attorney who's looked at, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 franchise disclosure documents for franchisees, and they'll, they'll tell them immediately that this is a piece of garbage. Okay. So the, the, I guess the first answer is have your franchise attorney and it should be somebody that in other words, I've got, there's a couple of attorneys I know that I've used in various things in, in past, uh, for intellectual property disputes, something like that. But you're saying for, if I'm buying a franchise franchise, I should come to a franchise attorney. Yes. Because, you know, look, when you're, looking for a lawyer, you don't hire your, 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 your brother-in-law who's a matrimonial lawyer to look at an FDD or, or a negligence lawyer. You check around, you go to the Bar Association, and you find out what, what, lawyer, what law firms do franchisee work. And there are a bunch. There are, there are some firms that just specialize in that. And there are firms that do both. I mean, we don't. Uh, but there are firms that will do franchisee and franchisee work. So you said go to the bar. So the bar website is the American Bar Association, or should they go to the state bar? No, you. I let me. I take that back. I'm thinking pre pre internet. Now you go. You you can Google franchisee lawyer, and you can get a bunch. Yeah. Okay. I like the idea of the bar, though. Mr. Google. Yeah, but the bar would be so much easier. Yeah, Google is even better than the bar. Yeah. It's easier. You can do it on your phone. You can't do that in the bar association. Fair enough. Well, yeah, the other question I was going to do, so I think what, so the first response is to to talk to a franchise attorney. Um, When you had been talking about, and where I'm going with this, you'd mentioned that states have said it has to be plain English or common language and you said lawyers can't mm-hmm. write use the therefores and thous and the these and the right. um so i i think one of the things that the uh listener might have been thinking is are there phrases like therefore thou whatever that a you will commonly see in a crappily written fdd uh if those phrases are still in the fdd then it's not it's not done correctly now keep in mind 
that plain English rule only applied to the disclosure portion of the document. It doesn't apply to the franchise agreement. So theoretically, you can have a plain English disclosure part, but the agreement can be in legalese, which they all are basically, and you've got to deal with it. All right. So with that moment, we'll take another break and then come back for actually is what's turning into one of my favorite episodes, which means I have to be one. Boring. The Franchise Woman is a bi-monthly digital magazine that empowers women as they navigate the franchising industry by providing relevant news, tools, advice, and inspiration. We are a resource for women who are seeking to own their own businesses, improve their existing businesses, find creative solutions, and take advantage of franchise opportunities. We feature women in the business who best exemplify our ideals and have something to teach our readers. In addition to our exclusive articles relating to the female entrepreneur, we also feature brands that are geared for women. Women have become the fastest growing sector in business ownership and have become a powerful, influenceable force fueling the economy. The Franchise Women will give you the news that is relevant to you to help you navigate the path of successful franchise ownership. By women, for women, and about women, we are the Franchise Women. Join us today at www.thefranchisewoman.com. And we're back. Is it Ray or Elizabeth has the next question? I think it's, it is I, unless Elizabeth, do you have something you want to say? Go ahead, Ray. I can, oh, well, okay. I will wait my turn. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> this day and age, you have to ask a question. And basically, it is, over since March, have you seen any uh, lawsuits or changes in the FED uh, because of COVID? Well, yeah, well, I could go into a, we can do a whole new show on, on how the COVID has impact franchising, but there are, there are states, uh, particularly Washington and California, that if, if we need to get into each item of the FED because we're all running out of time, but there's an item 19 in the FED. And that's a very important item if, if you're not a startup or and if you have existing franchisees. Uh, franchisees would have the option of putting in sales and P&Ls and all kinds of stuff regarding the operations of franchisees and company-owned units in item 19. Now, states are saying you've now got to put a disclosure in there that 2020, your numbers may not be what they were in 2019 or before as a result of the coronavirus and you have to disclose that. So the franchisee has now, look, everybody and their mother will know that that's probably going to be the case anyway. How many, except for a few industries, are the numbers going to be as good as they were in 2019? I can give a few, but not many. Mm-hmm. So that there is a disclosure. And I'm, I'm, most of my clients, even if they're not in those two states, should put in a disclaimer that the numbers in 2020 won't reflect what they were in the years before because of COVID-19. Now, in terms of the franchise industry in general, look, they're hurting. Franchises yeah. are going left and right. I mean, in New York City alone, I'm, I have a client that lost every single franchisee that they had in the city. They just shut down, and they're not going to reopen. You know, they're in the personal care business, they, it, it, and it, that's an industry that got hit as hard as any. And the same with gyms. They are getting hammered. Mm-hmm. Now, flip side, I have food clients that are doing better than they did at it last year because they're doing takeout and delivery and nobody's cooking and people are running out of things to cook, like my wife. So <laughs> get a delivery or pick it up at the curbside. 
So there are companies that are doing pretty well in the in the uh, in the in the pandemic. Not all though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's quite an imbalance, unfortunately. It is. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, let me interject something because, in case you want to ask me, uh, Fred, what's my prognostication for franchising in 2021? Um, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, 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 and I have to tell you, I think that. It's going to be great, and I'll tell you why. And I, I don't, I don't use that word like somebody else who know who lives in the White House. Uh, but I use this word because, unlike the recession of 08 and 09, where money was tight, rates were high, and you couldn't get financing if you stood on your head. Now there's more money than you can shake a stick at. Yeah. And the, and the people who are now unemployed, who want to go into their own business because they don't want to get laid off again now can borrow the money at very low interest rates. Mm-hmm. And that, that the companies that I'm seeing now, the new ones that want to franchise, are looking at Q4 and Q1 of next year. And they're going to be out there selling franchises because there's going to be a lot of buyers out there looking to open up their own business. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's going to be a lot of real estate of the ones who close, and now they get, the landlords are going to give good deals to these people because they want to rent space. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm looking at some good times in 2021. Yep, yep. Should be a good year, as long as we don't get hit with. Unless this is the start of the zombie apocalypse, and then we're all meat. Go ahead, Elizabeth. (laughs) I was going to say, is that leading us into the down the rabbit hole question? There are those who would say that we've been down the rabbit hole when we're talking about FDDs. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Again, this has been an ex- we've had listeners everywhere on the on the website on the show. They're even listening or watching on Twitch. Wow! This this is an exciting topic. Yes. Who would a funk? <laughs> Go ahead, Elizabeth. I gotta get my camera, take a picture of this. Because this is just incredible. The day that FDDs were exciting, whoever knew. So go ahead and talk. I'm going to get us a selfie um, on the right. Well, Well, Harold, let me ask you this. In terms of reiterating the importance of a good uh, franchise attorney, what are the penalties for noncompliance, having a noncompliant FDD as a franchisor? Uh, okay. Well, well, unfortunately, on the one hand, the FTC doesn't do anything. Explaining to the FTC is a waste of time as if you're a franchisee. The states, however, are very diligent in going after franchisors who sell franchises before they're registered, who are non-compliant, and it can get expensive. And New York State, is, as an example, uh, I've had clients uh, penalize twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars because they didn't listen to me and they actually sold before we got the approval. Mm-hmm. So clearly, the states are very diligent and will hammer people, franchisors. If they if they don't comply or if they do something that's that's non-compliant and the state finds out about it, so yeah, the states are very active in that respect. Now, if you're not if you're a franchisor that avoids all of the registration states, you're never going to have a problem because there's no there's no watchdog. Right. The things that you may not do in a registration state. So. I have, you know, as much as I hate the registration process, it kind of it kind of puts a a, a, a rein on on franchisors getting carried away and 
and doing things that they shouldn't do. So before we go down the rabbit hole, the, the only question I ask is, why hasn't uh, the FTC or Congress said, you know what, we'll have one repository for all of them and simplify it? Yeah, well, we'd like that. And most franchise lawyers have advocated for that, but the federal government doesn't want to get involved. That's why they've, they've deferred to the states to do that. I would love it. I mean, every client I have would love the same thing. File in Washington like they do the prospectus when you go public, and then you file a form in each state letting them know that you're doing it, which is the blue sky laws, and that's all you do. And then you can sell franchises without having to wait six months or three months or whatever it is. Believe me, franchise, there was an article in one of my uh, franchise lawyer, which is a publication put out by the uh, ABA, which a friend of mine, a California lawyer, uh, wrote an article just exactly about that and how states, while you want the economy to boom in the state, what you're doing is you're impeding the, the economy by, by letting franchisors wait six months before they can get approved. So I mean, it may not be in my lifetime, because I'm an old man, but in 10 or 15 years that may happen. I'm not sure if it'll happen before that, though. Wow, the federal government not wanting to get involved. That's just, <laughs> wow. So with that, we'll go down. It's our favorite time. We'll go down the rabbit hole. So today's rabbit hole question, as you may have noticed in the news, if you watch for something other than politics and uh, COVID-19, you may have noticed that the DOD continues to drop information out or acknowledge public information that there are UFOs visiting, sorry, UA, UAOs, unidentified aerial vehicles, I think it is, UAVs, that are not of terrestrial manufacture. So assuming then we're about to get an alien invasion, how will FDDs need to be modified to handle interplanetary or even interstellar franchising? No, no answer, huh? You're asking me that question? Yeah, I'm asking you that question. I don't think, yeah, well, I wouldn't hold my breath about it. I really wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I love that part of the show. You gotta admit that was a pretty integrated question. Um, Ray, you want to ask the last question? Of course I do. Well, I, I think it's pretty obvious from you being on the show a while back, and now that if you're looking for a franchise, you need to hire an expert to look at the FTD. Uh, or, or just to consult, uh, you know, what, uh, what you're looking at. What is the best way, Harold, for people to get a hold of you? And, of course, all your information will be on the Pillage Franchising website. It already is. It, it currently is and may be updated. Uh, so what is the best way for people to get a hold of you, Harold? Well, you can email is the best way. You know, now that I'm working from home, you know, as a result of COVID-19, Emails are the best, and, and you know, we're, we're, we'll take emails from people who want a franchise, people who want to buy a franchise. We're available, and we're working. I'm working harder now than I did before COVID-19, believe it or not. Longer days, my friend, longer days. 
Yeah, for sure. So I want to thank Carol Kessenbaum, the our go-to franchise attorney for all things FDD and franchise-related. Uh, if you need help, make sure you check out the Pillars of Franchising website and give them a call. Thanks to Elizabeth Denham, Denham, Elizabeth Denham, publisher of Franchise Magazine, Franchise Woman Magazine. Ooh, that's two. I'm really good. I'm weirded out, folks. No tech issues today, and it's just weirding me out. And, of course, my always... Like I said, it's gone amazingly well. People listening, watching all over the place. It's kind of weirding me out there. No glitches. So, it is. Next thank week. you, Harold. Thank you very much for being thank here. Thank you. Really we'll be back next week with another interesting and educational. Pillars, pillars, pillars of franchising. Pillars, pillars, pillars of franchising. Yeah.